0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, we're in 2 Corinthians. If you're new or visiting, I encourage you to have a Bible, especially a paper Bible, so when they turn things off, you can still get your paper Bible out and read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. I have become a fool in boasting, you have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches? "'except that I myself was not burdensome to you. "'Forgive me this wrong. "'Now for the third time I am ready to come to you "'and will not be burdensome to you, "'for I do not seek yours, but you. "'For the children ought to not lay up for the parents, "'but the parents for the children. "'And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. "'Though the more abundantly I love you, "'the less I am loved.'" But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did not we not walk in the same steps? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ. But we do all these things, beloved, for your edification. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, uh, tumults, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Father, we just continue in our worship of you. We thank you for all this time, Lord. We're free. We're free to do this. This is illegal in so many countries. And as we look at Europe, which 150 years ago, cathedrals were packed. And now they're mosque, They're coffee shops. Their libraries. They're closed up and they're dust collectors. Father, help us to remember what can happen when we forsake your word, when we forsake total reliance upon your Holy Spirit, because it is happening to the church here in America now. So, Lord, give us wisdom and discernment with your word as we come to worship you by surrendering our hearts and our minds to your word. How we can apply these words to our lives. That we might be more like Jesus. Father, well, we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 11. I, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you. But in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. And I have those last four words highlighted. I Though I am nothing. You see, Paul himself... He saw himself as a regular guy, acknowledging that he was nothing. Yet this is the same man who wrote this in Philippians. Philippians 4.13, this man who's nothing, who considered himself nothing, I can do all things. This is what the world has been promoting for decades. I can do all things, especially for you women. I can do all things. Read your Bible and know how God wants to use you. Could, woman make, could a woman make it all the way to the top to be the president of the United States? I have no problems with that. But read what your Bible asks you to do and follow the word of God. And if God calls you to do that, then go do it. But make sure that Christ is at the center and you're announcing Christ as your Lord and King. Don't compromise. Because Paul goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ myself. Even Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Who strengthens me. You see, Paul was relying upon the Holy Spirit because remember as you look at the end of verse 10 there for when I am weak then I am strong where's your strength come from where does your strength come from does it come from a mate does it come from your children being a mom does it come from your job dads where does it come from where does your strength come from Because all of those things can disappear very quickly. I've buried infants, and I've buried 90-year-olds. It can happen very quickly. So the question really is, where is my strength? Do I really trust God? I mean, I know I say it, but do I really mean it? Or is it just something I say because other Christians around me are saying it, and I want to fit in? That's That's not what this is about in this day and age. You better know that you can trust in Christ. See, through the various trials and tribulations, Paul came to understand that he needed more of the Holy Spirit in order to love those who were mistreating him. And that's going to kind of be the theme this morning. See, there are some in the church who are mistreating him, blaming him, accusing him. But then there were members in the church who literally knew Paul. And by not taking a stance for Paul, for the gospel, for the truth, they were actually mistreating Paul as well. Not with the same intent that the false apostles were, but they got caught up unfortunately in what was taking place you see the corinthians would have been seen would have seen this principle lived out up close and personal in the life of paul that he needed more of the holy spirit to love those who were mistreating him you see they should have been speaking kindly of paul defending him to those who were trying to ridicule him they should have been able to take care of the false apostles themselves And because they were not mature enough, and that's the important part right there. They were not mature enough. You see, as an adult, you can be very, very mature in the ways of the world. But if you don't know the Bible, you're not going to be mature enough to deal with what's coming down. Because it is coming down very quickly. They should have been mature enough to take care of the situation. It grieved him and caused him to remind them what true apostleship is all about, as we see in verse 12. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So Paul reminds them that they had definitely experienced the signs of apostle. They saw Paul, this happen in the life of Paul. There's no question about his apostleship, even if there were those who were questioning that calling and putting, by putting him down. But even though signs and wonders took place amongst them, Paul was more concerned over doctrine doctrine and this is an area where the church in the last few decades has gone off the rails looking for signs and wonders and forgetting just basic doctrine we cannot forsake doctrine in first corinthians 13 paul writes this and this is the most important doctrine though i speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love and this is agape love not phileo not storge, not eros. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. When they came to Jesus Jesus said, and asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandments? What did Jesus say? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love. And you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those are the greatest commandments, and that's the greatest doctrine. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not agape love. Agape love is committed, selfless love. It's unconditional. God loves us no matter what. I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not agape love, it profits me nothing because love suffers long and love is kind. Now we often hear this at a at a wedding because this is going to be so applicable. You see funerals are the end of tribulation. Weddings? That's why I love doing memorial services like, "Yes. Man this this person has their new body. Praise God." I've been married 42 years. It's good. Don't, don't get me wrong. But boy, it brings trials and tribulations. Love it does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Look at verses 13 and 14. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. There might have been a little spiritual sarcasm there. Now for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours. Very important principle right here. I do not seek yours, but you. And he explains it through a very practical explanation. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. You see, Paul should have treated them just like the other churches that he had established, but he didn't ask for, nor did he receive funds from this fellowship. No, he actually worked making tents. You see, as a rabbi, and he was the son of a Pharisee, so his father was a rabbi. Rabbis learned trades, and so Paul learned a trade. He was a tent maker. It's in the scriptures. So he did have to work. And he didn't forego that. He didn't, he didn't shame that. He did what he had to do to survive. And there's nothing wrong with that. The average church size in America is 50 to 75 people, which means for most of those pastors, they're bivocational. They're working 40, 50 hours a week to provide for their family, and they're putting in 20 or 30 hours in the church, studying, ministering. That's, the average, that's just reality. His trade learned as a youth and other established churches offering their financial system to Paul. And here again, he tells them why. He wasn't seeking after what they had to offer him physically, their finances or possessions. And this is where I've covered this over the years. The church gets a knock. And, and don't, don't do that to any trade. They're a bad dentist. Does that mean you're not going to go to the dentist? No, when you need a dentist, you're gonna go. I went to a bad dentist. He ripped me off big time. There are bad doctors, there are bad nurses, in every field. That's just, that's just life. That's just our race, unfortunately. So if you're here and you're just coming back, debug the program. Not every church and every pastor is bad, but that's what the enemy wants you to believe. They're just after your money. No but rather he was seeking after their hearts so that he might teach them the spiritual truths of God. Why? Because they were his spiritual children. 1 Corinthians 4.15 says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. So Paul knew there was going to be other pastors. He had no issue with that. That's in the Bible. God has given us order in the church we need to be in the church and there's order within the church but notice what paul says but have many fathers yet you do not have many fathers for in christ jesus i have begotten you through the gospel so paul looked at these people as his spiritual children not as physical children what can i get from you but as spiritual children children How can I bless you? And we've definitely seen that over the last two letters going through 1 Corinthians and now 2 Corinthians. Verse 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your sakes. I have this part highlighted. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. There is a very important spiritual principle And as you read your Bible, especially for you young saints, as you read your Bible, you're hearing on a regular basis, the Bible's archaic, it's antiquated, it's not worth anything, it's outdated, it's racist, it's this, it's that. Just read your Bible. You're going to find out it's none of those things. And there's so many principles that you can apply to your life. And here again is a principle that you can apply to your life. Notice what he says. Though the more I abundantly love you, agape you, unconditional, selfless committed love the less i am loved i think every parent in this room of an adult child i'm not talking about little ones little ones they don't get it did i understand that but adult children they get it i think every every parent that has an adult child can understand this principle we see this principle over and over again in the life of Moses and the children of Israel. I hope that you're reading your Bibles from Genesis to Revelation devotionally every day for you, not for anybody else, for you so that the Holy Spirit can minister to your heart. I do it every single day, not out of duty, not out of debt. I want to know God more. I want to know Him better. I want to be more like Jesus. How do you do that? By reading your Bible. Well, as you've been reading your Bible, what did the children do? They whined and complained. Who did they whine and complain about? God and then Moses. Several times they wanted to literally stone Moses. Let me see. And that's that's with rocks, not medicinal marijuana. They literally wanted to stone Moses. The more I love you, the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. It's a very important principle because Paul's expressing his heart. You see, Paul had poured his heart and soul into the various churches that he had established. And we know that it was at this church that he spent 18 months. And when you think of all the miles that Paul traveled, and none of the modern conveniences that we have, walking, donkey, walking, donkey, horse, whatever it was, they're not modern conveniences. Weeks and months to get to, a certain, to, the, next, get to the next place. He spent 18 months at this church. But he was willing to be spent. And I think if as an adult, uh, four children, four adult children, our children are now going to be this year uh, 41, 38, 36 and 34, 15 grandchildren, One great-grandchild. I know this principle. Do you? And maybe it wasn't we weren't aware of it, but I bet you in your heart you're going, well, <laughs> Hello. Yeah. That's my kid right there. But he was willing to be spent. He was willing to give it all so that they might know Christ better. You know, sometimes giving your children money is not the answer. Letting your children that you love Christ and you're not going to put up with their games is the answer. But oftentimes we think of them as kids and we keep them in that kid state when they're in their 20s and 30s. And they're not kids anymore. They've had the word of God. You've taught them the word of God. Maybe they've memorized the word of God and they have flesh just like you have flesh and they have free will just like you have free will. And they decide to go against everything that you've stood for. And you might be, well, maybe I need to compromise a little bit so that they'll love me. Don't compromise. Don't ever compromise the word of God. Might compromise in other areas, but don't ever compromise the word of God. That's not going to bring them to you. What's going to bring them to you is you, by not compromising, till you take your last breath. Because I have heard it at various memorial services where the children will get up and say, they loved Jesus their whole life, and I need to come back to Christ. They know. Come on, they know. They're just feeding their flesh. So don't give in. We know that it was at this church, as we already said, You see, that's the heart right here, what we're looking at. That's the heart of a true minister. And this is not pastor. I said minister. In your workplace, you might be ministering to people. That's your ministry. Giving it all with no expectations. And as I mentioned at the start of this verse, it's a principle that every parent of an adult child can understand. It's also a verse that is so applicable at times in the ministry of the church. We're seeing it right here. Paul's sharing his heart, not with his physical children, but with the church, his spiritual children. It's a principle that happens within the church. As well as other relationships. This could be in a marital relationship. You love your mate, you love your mate, you love your mate. And they don't express it back. That can be very frustrating. Not that we like that. But I think we can understand the heart of Paul here and we can learn a principle. Love, love, and love some more. He wrote the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, to the Corinthians, not to the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, to the Corinthians, to the Corinthians. But I don't feel like loving them. Man, have I heard this over the decades. Let me share with you a verse, John 3, 16. For God so felt like loving the world, That he gave his only begotten son. Does the Bible say that? No. You think God feels like loving you every day? (laughs) Hello. He just does it. Because that's him. He is love. Not based on feelings. It's based on his commitment for you and I. Now we might just have to set up healthy boundaries. We've had to do this over the decades. And there's nothing wrong with that. You won't find in the scriptures that you're supposed to be a doormat. But we still need to love, love, and love them some more, even if it's at a distance. Why? Because even if we have healthy boundaries, we continue to pray for that person or group of people. Do we have any groups of people we need to be praying for today? Hello? Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. These are spiritual forces that you and I do not see, that are even possibly active in this room right now we know the holy spirit is active in this room the holy spirit is drawing all of mankind to the cross the holy spirit wants us to mature be more like christ so the holy spirit is active drawing you if you're an unbeliever here this morning the holy spirit is here saying hey god loves you god wants a relationship with you will you please surrender will you stop will you give up no okay okay that's that's your free will but don't ever say god sent you to hell because he doesn't you choose to go there yourself against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You see, love will keep my heart right with God because God loves that person way more than I do. And now bring it down to a personal level with God, God's not interested in what we have or what we give. He's interested in us. Does he have us? Have we and are we continuing to surrender our lives to him? We sing songs like this on a regular basis. The song might might insinuate surrender, or the song literally has the word surrender in it, and we sing it, and then we go on with life, not realizing in ourselves a question, am I surrendering? Am I surrendering my hate towards that person? Am I surrendering my bitterness towards that person? Am I surrendering my bias towards a group? Am I surrendering my prejudices that I have when I see something and and I get this hate-filled heart and want to do some damage to somebody? That's not God's love. We don't endorse any of that around here. But we have to take a biblical stand for truth. We have to for the next generation. So have we and are we continuing to surrender our lives to him? Because he loves us unconditionally. That's a fact. He's committed to us no matter what. As we look at verses 16 through 18. But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Did I take advantage of of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus... And sent our brother with him. So an unnamed brother here. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did did we not walk in the same steps? You see, Paul and his companions were of the same mind. They were not doing what the false apostles were doing in the church, deceiving them. No, Paul and his companions loved the Corinthians with no expectations. And that's my desire as a pastor. My main role as a pastor, look into Ephesians. My main role as a pastor is not to please you, not to satisfy you, not to make you comfortable, not to check the roles of who's giving and not giving so I don't offend somebody, which I don't. I don't know who gives and doesn't give around here. I don't want to know. doesn't matter to me. But we're seeing the church in America, as well as around the world, capitulating out of fear of losing numbers, out of fear of losing money. If God wants to close this church, let him close it. I don't want to be a part of it. I want the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us. Nothing else is worth it. Nothing. And so we have to ask ourselves, as I teach you the word of God, that's my main role, is to teach you for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night, at a men's study, a ladies' study, at a retreat. That's the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is in your neighborhood, loving your neighbors, being kind to your neighbors, doing things that maybe other neighbors won't do for a certain neighbor. The work of the ministry is in your workplace. Be an example of a Christ follower. How do people see you in the workplace? Do they even know you're a Christian? Do they even know that? See, the ministry is 24-7 possibly. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we have the opportunity to be used by God in the ministry. So that's my desire, is to teach you, disciple you. I've got 45 minutes, and then that's it, 40 minutes. For a whole week, that's it. That's why we take the word of God and make it so relevant and ask that children are not in here. We don't need any distractions. I don't need any distractions. I'm easily distracted. So it's, it's so important and the Bible is so relevant. See, that's hard love to get to. I'm not saying this is easy. It's a hard love to get to. But as I've already mentioned, the Holy Spirit will get you there. Love those whom you are called to minister to, whether that's family or church members, neighbors or coworkers. Love, love, and love some more. What is Paul saying right here? I love you, I love you, and I'm going to love you some more. Even though the more I love you, the less you love me. Doesn't matter. I'm called to love you, so I'm going to love you. Now again, that doesn't mean that you put up with nonsense. Healthy boundaries, church discipline, we do that around here. We do the whole Bible. We're not going to have one outweigh the other. Balance, balance, balance. But as you go forth, are you learning that love? And are you exemplifying that as a young student, maybe in junior high or high school? Are you showing love to that person that's a loner are you showing love to that person that's confused the enemy the spiritual enemy has confused them about their gender when deep down they know they're a male they know they're a female in college are you there ministering to those around you or at least attempting to it's hostile I get it I understand it very hostile environment we're living in now it's not going to become less hostile guys Jesus is coming back, and he said it would be as in the days of Noah, and it would be in the days of Lot. It's going to get worse. we got to get geared up for it. Verse 19, 2 Corinthians 12, 19. Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God and Christ, but we do all things beloved for your edification. You see, Paul was trying to make an excuse for not asking for financial or some other type of support. Was he trying to do that? No. His goal was to build up the saints. It was not about money. It was not about possessions or things. It was about building up the saints. As you see the word there, edification. That word edification at the end of verse 19, that carries the idea of architecture. Architecture. You see, Paul desired to spiritually build them up, not physically fleece them or promote himself as someone special. And notice what he says in the middle of the verse. Do you see in the middle of the verse there? Well, towards the end of the verse. Beloved, but we do all things beloved. Is he loving them? Is he loving them? And is he loving them more? Beloved, I still love you. You don't love me? I still love you. I still love you. Again, we see the heart of Paul, even though Paul was hurt emotionally. I mean, think about that. Oftentimes we lift up the saints of old and we think, oh man, he was hurt emotionally. He's expressing it right here. He's sharing his emotions through how the church was handling this situation. Paul still loved them. And I I hope I'm able to convey this principle to you this morning that Paul was living out because he's showing us what? How to love, love, and love some more. Look at verses 20 and 21 as we get ready to wrap it up. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you as such as I wish and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. That's, that's quite a list. Paul is writing this to the church and he says, I, I don't want these things to happen. I don't want to be a part of our relationship, which means they could be. And then look at the, look, some of what he says in verse 21. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented. Notice that we celebrate communion this morning. Maybe someone in this room needed to repent it. Praise God. You did it. Praise God. Most churches will not even mention this word repentance. That's a forbidden word. That'll scare people away. (laughs) Let's not love people to hell. Let's scare them. The Bible says save some by fear. You're going to hell. If you don't think that's a fearful thing, you will when you wake up in it. And not have repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have Practiced. This is at the end of his second letter, and he's still saying, "You guys, some of you in the church are still practicing these things. Not just, you know, it happens, and, and we all sin this past week. Every single one of us, myself included, this week, we all sin. That's not the issue. Even First John is that's not the issue in First John. Nobody's going to be perfect until you take your last breath. Then we'll go. He's sinning no more. Praise God. Until then, you're going to sin. Unfortunately, hopefully, you're sinning less." Because we'll never be sinless. But hopefully you're sinning less. Hopefully I'm sinning less. But Paul's emphasizing, you guys are still practicing these things. Even after 1 Corinthians? This is going to be my third time and you still are doing these things? You see, Paul was looking for the fruit of repentance. And that's what he desired to find when he came to the church at Corinth. And you see, that's what the Lord is looking for when he returns to the earth. A church that is seeking after the ways of God. Not a church that is inclusive and we just welcome everybody in whatever they're doing and don't address anything and actually put them on the platform no everyone is welcomed praise god everyone's welcomed at this church but we're not going to endorse sin we're a hospital not a clean room we're a hospital we should welcome everybody in invite people to church guys these are the last days, and there's a lot of people without any hope. you got five seconds, ten seconds, invite them to church. Say, hey, why don't you go to church? Well, I live on the west side. Well, you know what? There's Calvary's over there. There's Bible-leaving churches. Why don't you get plugged into a church? And all of a sudden, you'll find a conversation. So, well, you know, they, they ripped off my parents. You know, I'm never going back to a church. Well, you know what? I just learned something about that this week. Do you know there's bad dentists? There's bad doctors? There's bad nurses? What are you? I'm a mechanic. Oh, Are there any bad mechanics out there? Hey! Yeah, exactly, pal. That might just be, I think I'll go back to church. That might just be the ticket. You see, the church today, not this church, but many churches under the banner of Christianity today around the world has succumbed to the ways of the world. As Paul is about to sign off, He writes a list of potential problems that the church was still dealing with. And this last has some very serious things here that need to be repented of. You see, Paul addressed many of these issues in his first letter to them. And yet, Paul is still concerned that some of them have not repented of these things. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. we got a slide. Let's remember what Paul shared with the church back in 1 Corinthians. Take a picture, write it down. Normally, we turn to a lot of scriptures, but it's Communion Sunday. We, we don't have a lot of time. Your glorying is not good. And in this particular context, a man was having sex with his stepmom, and the church was glorying in it. Whoa, yes! Look at Jim. He's having sex with his stepmom. Hello. Do you not know that the little leaven leavens the whole lump? So a physical thing... Those of you who bake, you know the process here. A little leaven, that's going to go through the whole lump. It's going to to infiltrate the whole lump and it's going to rise. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. So he takes that physical analogy, spiritual principle. Because leaven sometimes is equated to sin in the Bible. That you may be a new lump since since you truly are unleavened. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of truth and sincerity. The feast, I believe this is really communion with 1 Corinthians 11, which we just did this morning. It ties in perfectly. I don't think he was talking about the feast of Judaism. Those feasts don't save us. We can, we can participate in them like we're going to do. Celebrate the Passover. I mean, it's good to know about the feast. It's amazing. Read your Bible. Matter of fact, in this morning's reading, Moses goes over the feast again. It's, it's great information, but it's not going to save us. But it will, what it will do is it will cleanse our hearts when we remember, I'm celebrating what Jesus did on the cross. So should I just go out and sin from what Jesus did on the cross? I'm forgiven. No, 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 no. No, that's not the Christian faith. Not the Christian faith. Again, it is a list that any church could fall into and did the and did fall into in church history, including the history. Think about this. The history we are now establishing. At the end of this year, when we look back, history. This year is history. How's that going for the church? We've been warned about these days and the last days prior to our Lord's return. So we want to ask ourselves in the context of our text, are we doing things that edify the body or are we doing things to serve our own desires? Are we repenting on a regular basis as the music team comes up? So question here, are we willing to love, love and love some more? Because that's what God does to every believer. And I believe this church is doing really good at that because we get compliments on a regular basis. I, I do, and the rest of the staff. People will say on a regular basis, come up to us, say, you know what, this is a very loving church. I mean, I cannot get any better compliment than that. Besides, wow, this, this church really believes in the Bible. I mean, yeah. Well, you believe in the Bible because that's why you love. I mean, they go hand in hand. So, what a blessing! What a blessing. You see, he definitely disciplines those whom he loves, speaking of God here. And Paul, God would use Paul to discipline the Corinthians if he needed to. He did in 1 Corinthians. But he loves them all the way through that discipline, the he being God. And as we will see as we complete this letter, Paul loves them even if he has to come and discipline them. We'll wrap it up with Hebrews chapter 12, 9 through 11. Furthermore, we have human fathers who correct us and we paid them respect. Unfortunately, this is not happening in America anymore. I shouldn't say anymore. This is not happening in America as it should. There are still many families out there. Dad's doing what he should be doing, especially in Christian households. But in the world, absent fathers is the number one problem of our society right now. Absent fathers. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, disciplined us, corrected us, seem best to them but he god for our prophet that we may be partakers of his holiness maturing process god doesn't punish his kids he disciplines with the goal of maturity not punishing i was raised with the mentality of god who was just waiting to slap me upside the head that's not god i had to debug the program now no chastening disciplining correction seems to be joyful for the present but painful Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And this is the most important part of the verse right here. To those who have been trained by it. See, I can walk away from God and say, I don't want to listen to you. You're forsaking the discipline. He'll let you go around the mountain one more time. And you'll come back. I don't want to. Let's take another lap. Come back. I don't want to. Man, let's take another lap. I love you too much to let you go. You might do that 20, 30 times. Eventually, hopefully, hopefully you get it right on the first time. But if it takes 30 times, would you surrender today and give up and get trained by his love, grace, and mercy so that you can express it to others? Father, we thank you and praise you that you love us so much that you're willing to discipline us. You're not willing to let us just kick and scream and give us our way in our sinful nature you take a stand because you inspired men to write your word and your word gives us that standard as we see the church universally crumbling in so many ways father give us strength to take a stand for the word to love people whoever comes through these doors to love them to respect them To reach out to them. To welcome them. Because they need to be saved first. They don't get saved. They're not going to understand what sin is. So Father, bring them that they might hear the truth. That you love them and you sent your son to die for them. And that sin is not acceptable on any level. For any of us. And again, Father, I thank you that we come before a throne of grace. That we might find help in our time of need. And so this week, as we go out to minister to people, and that ministry needs to be love, love, and love them some more, without being a doormat, setting up maybe healthy boundaries, but loving them at a distance, which means praying for them, interceding in that spiritual world for their soul. That their eyes would be open to your love. That they would repent. And come to the saving knowledge. Of Jesus as their savior. Father as saints we pray for anyone in this room this morning. That does not know Jesus as their savior. You love them. Your son died for them. Lord. Fill them afresh. Help them to see that they need a savior and that they would come forward after this service and acknowledge I am a sinner in need of a savior and I desire Jesus to be my savior they would not live in fear they would not live in shame any longer but they'd come and get saved in Jesus precious name Amen